I'm excited to continue our study uh, in the book of Galatians. Uh, I think it's a fine selection, and uh, I appreciate Kent drawing it to the congregation's attention. There's a lot to be learned there, and uh, I look forward to each and every of you who have an assignment and going through the book. Now, last week, if you recall, Yancey did a very good job for us at giving us a, a 100-foot view, if you will, of what the book is about. Um, he talked a little bit about uh, the themes in the book, and he talked a little bit about uh, the historical origin behind the book. He talked a little bit about the Celtic people and the region geographically, where it was situated and what Paul was writing to. Um, uh, a very good job of laying out an outline of the book, if you will. And then if you recall, Sean uh, spoke for us last Sunday afternoon, and he talked a little bit about the author of the book of Galatians, how it was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was Saul of Tarsus. And he was a person who was very prominent in persecuting the church. He was a man who was well-trained in the Jewish law. He was very well accustomed with Jewish traditions and, and the Jewish customs of that day. And he thought that what he was doing was right. He thought that by persecuting the church, he was doing God's work. In fact, you can go on and read in Timothy. He says, I was the chief of sinners, but yet God showed mercy to me because I was doing these things in ignorance and in unbelief. And if you go over to Acts chapter 9, you see that the Apostle Paul petitioned the high priest or the Jewish religious leaders to basically deputize him to go to Damascus and to round up Christians and to bring them back into Jerusalem to have them stand trial. And so he was very prevalent. He was very prominent in making sure that the church was being harassed and that they were being persecuted. But we know that in Acts chapter 9 that while he was on that journey to Damascus that he encountered a supernatural experience with the Lord. And Jesus came to him and said, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks or why are you trying to fight a battle, sir, that you cannot win, quite frankly? It says that Paul eventually got up and he was baptized. And we know that he went on to write a lot of the New Testament. A lot of the letters in the New Testament are sometimes what we refer to as the epistles in the New Testament. And history records that he was later martyred for his faith in Rome. And so a very good worker, very good servant of God. And so this is the author who wrote Galatians. And if we were to just briefly outline what Galatians is about, and I don't want to get too far in this because Yancey did it for us. But if you look at the first first five verses, it's a greeting. It's a letter. It's a letter that was written to a plurality of churches in this area of Galatia or what uh, Yancey referred to as Galatea. And so it's Paul's introductory remarks. But we see in verses 6 through 9 that Paul has a rebuke for these people when he writes this letter. He has an issue that he's taking up with them. And that issue is in verse 6, verses 9. And that's what you and I are going to examine this morning to see what the problem was there. And then if you go on in verses 10 through chapter 2 and verses 14, you see that Paul gives a personal history of himself. It's kind of what, what Sean talked about. When Paul writes this letter, he brings up the issue before these people, and he says, hey, listen, I used to be on this side of the fence, but now I'm on this side of the fence. I'm a legitimate authority, I promise you, and I'm a legitimate guy when it comes to what I'm teaching you. And then you get into really the juice of the book and what it's about, this discourse on justification by grace 
versus the works of the law. And that's really what the book is about. And then Paul exhorts them at the end of chapter 5 to the conclusion of the book in chapter 6. And basically it's Paul's encouragement. I'm going to bring you back into remembrance of those things that I taught you. And I wish you well. And so that's really an overview of what the book is about. But we see that really the main arterial issue is what Dylan read for us this morning. It's in verse 6 through 7. Paul says this. He says, I marvel. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. And if you read a couple of verses down after that, he says, if anyone else preaches to you other than what I've preached to you, let that person be a curse, whether it be a person or an angel from God. That's how serious Paul was about this issue. And so when you look at the book of Galatians, as was mentioned, it's really a letter. But it's really not just a letter, it's a reprimand letter. It's Paul wagging his finger at these people over in Galatia saying, that's not what I taught you. That's not what I preached to you. I came to you and I taught you the death. I taught you the burial. I taught you the resurrection of Jesus. And now you want to take that and set that aside. And now you want to incorporate and revert back to your old Judaistic ways. They were trying to fall back and revert back into Judaism. And as what Mike said last Sunday, what they were essentially teaching was, yeah, you need Jesus and you need Christ, but you also need to observe the Sabbath. You also need to observe circumcision. You also need to observe all these 613 laws of the Mosaical law. And Paul said, that's not the message. That's not what I taught you. It's a reprimand letter. You know, I told Matt last Sunday, I said, you know, growing up in the early 2000s, there was no shortage of peer pressure. I, I trust you. Just as all of you have grown up in a grown up in a period of time, you all encountered peer pressure. You all encountered temptations. But I can never recall uh, in growing up in school, everyone, anyone for that matter, coming up to me and saying, "Hey, man, you know, after school, we're all going to get together and uh, we're all going to meet out behind the ball fields and." Uh, we're going to take turns reading the Mosaical Law, you know, if you're up for it. No one ever came to me and said, hey, man, Slick Willie's selling dreidels up behind uh, the field house if you want to go out there. No one ever came to me and said, hey, man, we're going over to Ronnie's house, dude. His cousin's a rabbi. That was not a fear. The fear of, a, quite frankly, a bunch of country kids from Arkansas who grew up in the Church of Christ and the Baptist going to practice Judaism was not really a relevant concern for parents in the area, I assure you. However, we're here today and we're examining a letter that was written somewhere between 40 and 60 A.D. That's to a designated group of people at a designated time telling them, you don't need to fall back into Judaism. You need to remember the newfound liberty that Jesus Christ gave you when he was nailed to that cross. And that's the whole message. And so how is that relevant? How is that relevant to you and how is that relevant to me in Denton, Texas in 2019? You know, when Paul wrote this letter, it was a very relevant issue to those people. It was a very relevant issue to those people. Those people were living in a transitionary time. They were living in a time where they were coming out of Judaism into Christianity. 
And everything that they had done their entire lives of observing the Sabbath and observing these laws is what they had done their entire life. It would be no different if an authority figure came in here today and said, what you're doing right here at the Lord's table is now obsolete. You don't need to do it anymore. You don't need to pray. You don't need to lead songs. You don't need to do any of that. Most of us have spent our entire lives doing this. And for someone to say that it's no longer relevant, that would be very hard for you and I to accept that and appreciate that and and adopt that. Because we've been doing this our entire lives. And that was the message that, that Paul was trying to get across to these people is you, you no longer have to sacrifice animals. You no longer have to observe the Sabbath. You have a new liberty that Jesus Christ has given you through the grace of God. That's the message. And these people wanted to revert back into their old ways. So it was very real. It was a very necessity. It was a very letter that required a necessity of, 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 of reprimand from Paul. And so it was very relevant. And it's still relevant today. It's relevant to those who are in Israel who need to hear the message that the Messiah has come and he came in the form of a savior by the name of Jesus Christ. But not only was it relevant to those people somewhere between 40 and 60 AD, not only is it relevant to those in Israel today, but it's relevant to us here today as well. Because as you'll see, the explanation that Paul gives them as far as that we're not living under the Mosaical law. There's a lot of spiritual foundations. There's a lot of spiritual truths that you're going to see as we go through our study that are very much relevant to you and I today. And one of those things is this, is that there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, In verses 15 through 16, Paul writes this. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so Paul's telling them there, your ability to be saved, your ability to have a relationship with God is not conditioned on the fact that you can keep a bunch of obscure laws. Your relationship, the fact that you can even have a relationship with God is because God allowed you to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so you're not saved, you're not saved on your merit and you're not saved on your works, right? And so Christian in Galatia in 40 or 60 AD, you're not saved because you observe the Sabbath. You're not saved because you observe circumcision. You're not saved because you observe all 613 laws. You're saved because God gave you a savior in the form of Jesus Christ. Christian in Denton, Texas in 2019, you're not saved because you didn't cheat on your wife. You're not saved because you didn't commit murder. You're not saved because you didn't cheat on your taxes. You're not saved because you visit those who are in the nursing home for your works. You're saved because God gave you a savior in the form of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's why you're saved. And so when you look at Galatians, this whole issue is this. God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's acceptance of you through the blood of Jesus versus works or the works of the law or your own merit. You know, when I was growing up, this was, I can remember this being a controversial issue. 
And he, and even being very young, I never understood why it was so controversial. And today, sometimes I still don't understand why it can be so controversial. I think that the message is, is pretty clear. But there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of uh, conflict when it comes to this issue of being saved by the grace of God or being saved by by your works. Even to the fact that some people will tell you that the Apostle Paul is contradicting James when James wrote about works in, in his letter and, and that James contradicts Paul and so that there's a, there's a confusion there. And I, I would tell you that I don't believe that's the case. And just to give you an example, in James chapter 2 and verses 17 through verses 18, it says this. But someone will say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to this in James chapter 2 and verses 21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, a man is justified, justified by works and not by faith only. Listen to what James says in James chapter 2 and verses 26. For the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so which side of the spectrum is it? It seems that, that Paul seems to be over here saying that we're justified by God's grace. We're justified by our faith in the Lord Jesus. But yet it seems like James is over here talking more about being justified by our works. And so it kind of seems like a, bo- a broad spectrum. And what would that spectrum be? Well, Paul's over here saying that we're saved by grace, which tends to be more individualistic. It seems to be more tolerant. It seems to be less legalistic. But yet we have this side of the spectrum over here where it says that, well, maybe we're saved by our works where it seems to be more legalistic, not as less, um, not as more individualistic and, and less tolerant. And there's this wide spectrum. And so what is it? Are we saved by God's grace and by God's goodness? Or are we saved by the fact that we're trying to do the commandments of the New Testament? And I will tell you that I don't think it's really a contradiction at all. But rather, these, these, this issue of whether we're saved by grace or whether we're saved by works really complements one another. And I don't think it's so much a spectrum as it is an equation. An equation is grace plus works equals salvation. Grace is a condition precedent that's necessary unto salvation, just as our works are a condition subsequent to that. And so because God loved us, because God looked at us, and because God had mercy on us and opened a door for us, that was a necessary variable for you and I to be accepted by God. There's no amount of work. There's nothing that the Mosaical law could have done for the Jewish people to open that door to give them a relationship with God. There's nothing that you can do today. There's nothing that you can do to be a good person today to take God's acceptance. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, I'm going to I'm going to concoct this twisted plan where I'm going to take my only son and I'm going to give him to the hands of my creation to be tormented and to be tortured and to be killed and to be spat upon and have his flesh ripped open so I can have a relationship with my own creation. God set his son down and asked him before the foundations of the world, is this something that you're willing to do for my love for these people? 
Are you willing to do that? And once he answered them the affirmative, that set the plan in motion for you and I to have a relationship with God. And the reason why it had to be Jesus Christ is there's no other way. There had to be something that qualified as a sacrificial lamb to punish sin. And Jesus became that that lamb. And because of that, God showed his grace. We're justified because of God's loving mercy towards us. And because of that, our works, the fact that you don't cheat on the spouse, the fact that you don't kill people, the fact that you do visit the sick, the fact that you do do all of these good deeds, that is a manifestation of your appreciation for the fact that God gave you a Savior. That's the motivation for the reason that why you do those things. Or you're trying to pattern your life after what Jesus has taught, has taught us. Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so I say that grace plus the necessity of works really equals salvation. Paul says you need grace. You need God's forgiveness to be saved. But James says you need works. Those don't contradict one another. That's like me standing up here today saying it takes gasoline to operate my automobile. That's a true statement. There's nothing false about that statement. But you know what? It's also the under the impression that it takes oil to operate my vehicle and brake fluid and everything else. If Just as if I stood up here and said, it takes oil to operate my automobile. doesn't mean that it doesn't take gasoline as well. So God's grace and God's mercy is the reason that you and I can have a relationship with him. And our works are simply a manifestation of our appreciation for what he's done for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law to the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know what Jesus' really objective was when he was on this earth? Was to expose the law. Was to expose it. You can't keep some 613 commandments as a mortal human being. I don't care who you are unless you're Jesus Christ. To expose the need that you couldn't be perfect, which which is what God requires is perfection. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And in fact, when we see the purpose of the law is this. The law was to show you our need, that our sin and our need to be right with God. And grace is to make us right with God. In fact, if you look at Romans, a lot of what Paul was writing to the Romans is a lot of what he was writing to the Galatians is that God's grace and God's goodness to us is the reason that we're saved and for us to have an appreciation for that effect. Grace is a beautiful thing. I know some of you have children. I know some of you have been in this situation where your child acts up and, you know, you have every right to punish that child. But God, the scriptures give you every authority to do that. You have every authority not to spare the rod on that child. And a lot of times, you know, you, you do what you need to do to help your children. But have you ever had a time where your children act up or they do something that they shouldn't do? And you just feel sorry for them and you just have mercy for them. And you don't want to take them in the bedroom and you don't want to. Give them that spanking, but rather you sit them down and you talk to them and you explain to them and they're kind of confused why they didn't get that spanking because you had mercy on them and you're exhibiting that mercy and that's the relationship and that's the picture that God gave you and I when he didn't take us down and just wear us out. 
It's grace and it's a beautiful picture. And that's the reason that we can be reconciled to God. The difference between the law and grace is this, is that the law required our own responsibility to a degree. The grace is our gift from God. The motivation for the law was out of fear. If you committed adultery, uh, you should be worried that you're going to get stoned out in the public. But the motivation behind grace is love. That's when Jesus didn't, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I didn't, Jesus didn't set a bunch of people down on a mountain and say, here's the thou shall nots. You know what he did? He says, he didn't say, don't cheat on your wife. He says, if you look at another woman, you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He didn't say, thou shalt not murder. Jesus didn't come and say that. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. The law was there for a reason and it had a purpose. But Jesus came to fulfill that purpose by showing us the reason that the law was established to begin with. And so again, the motivation is changed. Paul says now that we live by the spirit, but we don't live by, by, by the works of the law. And lastly, uh, the operating principles. The difference between law and grace is this, is that the law required external regulations, codified rules and standards given by God. Grace deals with the inner heart that changes the man. And the operating principle of the law is try harder. Do the best you can, but you're never going to fulfill it and you're never going to keep it. Grace is that we receive and we receive the trust and the rest that's given through Jesus Christ. Paul said this to the Romans. He said in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But according to the spirit. You know, when I was a a young man uh, growing up, my mother would oftentimes take us after church if we couldn't go to church it got canceled or something she would take us to the local nursing home there and she would uh, make us uh, go visit all of the all of the people there and I really appreciate her doing that for us it, it really instilled a lot of a lot of memories in my mind and gave me an appreciation for what it means to serve other people she was a good mother in that regard and uh, I remember growing up that uh, I never felt like I was saved I've just never felt like it I wanted confirmation. I was always taught, just like almost I'm sure every one of you were taught, you got to earn what you get, right? you got to earn what you get. When I was 12 years old, my dad would take me to his store. He owned a store in Walden, Arkansas, and I would sack groceries all day long, and he would give me $15 for working for him. I felt like I earned it. I needed to earn it. I was always taught, earn what you get. And so I think that we've developed that relationship in our mind, and we, we have that notion in our mind that we have to earn and earn and earn, which the thing about grace is it's not about earning it. It's about receiving what God has given to us. And my mother would take us to these nursing homes, and I, I just never felt safe. So a lot of times I would just leave school after school, and I felt like I needed to go to the nursing home literally every day and visit somebody because I needed to be out there doing God's work. 
And you know what? It was a great thing. I would go and I would visit people and I would feel good about myself and feel like I did my good deed. But you know what? The very next day I didn't feel right with God. And what was I doing? It was a habitual, repetitive thing that I was doing. And it was cyclical in nature and it just never gave me a fulfillment. Those were good things. You know what? The motivation for that should have been different. The act of doing that is great. But the motivation shouldn't be out of fear because I'm not right with God. The motivation for doing that is because Jesus sat down and washed his disciples' feet before he was crucified and gave them an example of serving other people. And so that's what the motivation should be. The concept of grace is this, is that God loved you, is that God extended you a measure because he wanted to be reconciled with you. and He did that through the form of Jesus Christ. And all the deeds that you perform are great, and they're necessary. James says, you know, if you don't have works, how can you really claim that you have any faith? You have these people on this side of the spectrum. Oh, I love God. I feel God in my heart and, and I'm a Christian and they don't do anything. They're just couch potatoes. And then you have people over here who are living their whole life in this legalistic manner where they're doing works and doing works and they never feel a relationship with God. We should have a relationship with God. And from that relationship, it produces a motivation in you and I to be in service of other people and have an appreciation for what God has done for us. And that's the measure of grace that he's given us. I appreciate your attention this morning. If there be one who have a matter to bring before the congregation or one who wished to be immersed in baptism, we ask that you come as we stand and sing.